Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey, everyone. You're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and this is episode 51. Holy shit, 51. If you're new to the podcast, well, you got some catching up to do. Thanks for being here. If you're a longtime listener, this is going to be a fun one. They're all fun, but this is going to be a fun one. Um, You know the drill then. Go to my website for all of the show notes, everything we talk about, elizabethrfuller.com. While you're there, check out my incredible photography. I'm a food and product photographer. It's what I do professionally. It's how I make a living. And I am damn good at it. So if you want to use my services, hit me up. If you have questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, I'm here for you. Send me an email, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram. I love seeing them at let's go on a food adventure. All right, let's do this, you guys. Let's go on a food adventure. I still can't believe it. Episode 51. Holy shit. Holy shit. Just yesterday, I turned 41. Well, on Monday, I turned 41. Yay! Happy birthday to me. I love celebrating my birthday. I love um, everything about my birthday. I love that it is near Christmas. I don't give a shit about that because, um, yeah, I think I'm fabulous. So I call my birthday because it's near Christmas and I have to differentiate between the two. I call it Bethmas. And um, you're all welcome to celebrate Bethmas. How you celebrate it is you send me fabulous things and you tell me how much you love me and and you cheers me on December 13th um, with whatever hot, warm, cold, alcoholic, non-alcoholic beverage of your choices. And just like bring it that day. Crush life. Do something nice for someone. Um, be awesome. Say yes to everything. And that's that's good for you. And like seriously, go for it. That's what Bethmas is is all about. But we're not here to talk about Bethmas. I mean, we could be. We, we, could, we could talk about that. We could talk about UK season finale drag race that was a few weeks ago. We could talk about if there's any sex in the city fans out there and just like that because mic drop. Oh my God. And I don't want to give anything away if you haven't uh, watched it or read anything on the internet in the last week. Well, um, maybe you've been asleep at the wheel. Maybe you've taken a little internet detox. So I don't want to ruin anything for you, but we can gossip about that um, another time. Today, because we're wrapping up the year in this podcast, and you know, we are gonna have a season two, but we are closing out season one, 52 episodes. I thought these last two episodes, let's do best ofs. Let's let's cobble together some of my favorite moments that I can remember from this past year with all of you awesome people and all of my incredible guests. I, I, (laughs) there's so, I mean, really, it's like, as I've said many times over, it's like picking a favorite child, um, trying to find these moments. There are, 
there's so many of them. I'm so grateful to every single guest who came on this podcast who gave up time out of their day to talk to me. I'm so grateful for the friendships and connections that I've made through this podcast and the reconnections with old friends that I haven't chatted with in too long and I was able to reconnect with them again. It's been such an incredible pleasure doing this for the last year for so many reasons, um, most of them selfishly for myself, but honestly, it's just a fucking joy. So with that said, I think we need to get into it and listen to some of my favorite clips from season one of the Food Adventures podcast. Start, you can say, let's go on a food adventure. Let's go on a food adventure. Let's go on a food adventure with my favorite Yay! <laughs> I love that you were the first person that gave me a theme song. Now we have a theme song to the podcast. I'll do it, I'll do it again better when you when, you, when we're really doing this, okay? We I'm are sorry. really doing this now. Okay, I'll do it again, okay? Okay, one, one more time for the cheap okay, seats in the go. back, everybody. Here we go. Let's go. Hey, Poodle. Hi. Good afternoon. Hi. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. And it's like 50 out. It feels like magical. I know. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's sunny. The birds are chirping. My cocktails are chirping. Everything's chirping. <laughs> Everything's chirping. I love it. Um, all right. Our next question, our last question for the listener questions comes from Piper in California and she writes, what is your favorite brunch cocktail? Oh gosh. What isn't? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what really, I mean, is there, I do have, I do have a couple. So, um, can I do like a top three? Is you can that do a right? top. Yeah. I know. It's like picking a favorite child. I get it. I know. Yeah. I know top I know. three or favorite poodle that is. Oh, you can't. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. Uh, so the the number one of my favorite cocktails, uh, but you have to be really careful with them because last time I had too many, um, I ended up going out clubbing on a Sunday, uh, getting kicked out of the club, and then I had to call out of work the next day. <laughs> but they're delicious <laughs> if you can control yourself. Uh, executive mimosas, poodle. Do you know what's in an executive? No, what's in an executive? Well, you take a regular mimosa and then you put a couple shots of vodka in it. Oh, good God. What kind yeah, of vodka? So, yes. Uh, I mean, so I guess if you go to a regular restaurant, they'll put one shot of vodka in it. Or if you go to gay brunch, they'll put two to three. Yeah, right. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the rules. I, I didn't is. make the rules. I'm just... No, we just follow them. Yeah. So um, executive mimosas are great. They're usually served in a pint glass with ice. Uh, make sure that if you're hosting uh, with and you want to serve executive mimosas at your house, please do have a uh, jigger on hand to measure or a shot glass or something. You definitely don't want people free pouring the vodka and then also free pouring the champagne and then mm. putting a, uh, you know, dropper of orange juice or cranberry into mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so, so that's by far number one. I love them, but I need to be careful with them, especially as I approach 40. I can't really afford to break anything right now um, on my body. I hear you. 
mimosa flights. I mean, who doesn't love a mimosa flight, right? You just, it's champagne with a bunch of different juices. Get yourself a couple glasses, line them up and have, have a ball, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or... Another one, if you're feeling Miss Jackson, yeah, uh, or it would be like a Madras flight, but with different Ooh. types of juices. Uh huh. You know, I know a Madras, you know, is typically orange juice and cranberry, but and vodka, thinking, yeah, and vodka, of course. Right. But or it could just be a, a maybe like a screwdriver flight or something, right? So you make yourself a Madras, make yourself a screwdriver, make yourself a um, pineapple mm-hmm. and make yourself a greyhound. Make sure you use in the small glasses, right? Get yourself a little flight set on Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. Those were always good for brunch too, because the whole purpose of brunch is to sort of try a bunch of different types of foods, right? You want your salty, your sweet, mm-hmm. you want your, your eggs and you want your, you know, bacon and all that stuff. So what better to pair it with than a variety of different cocktails? wash them with my hands and then you know what doesn't need to get washed god (laughs) bags of potato chips (laughs) especially when they're organic organic doritos (laughs) organic oreos i was told one time they were like that was their defense but they're organic i was like no and they're vegan holy christ and they're vegan vegan. yeah i don't think so i don't think they're vegan are they cream? is there cream in it Google that. Oh, that's not dairy. That's not real dairy. That's like our dry you know, that like You know, it's that artisanal uh, <laughs> chocolate or cookie, whatever the hell it is. That's, there is no dairy in a, in a fucking Oreo, buddy. No, it's how many the chemicals. cream? That's not what? real. Google fact check me right now. Lifetime fact I, I'm check. pretty sure you're right. You care I, about this stuff more than. I don't even buy this stuff anyway. Next question. All right. The bakery lady, all ladies in that, mm-hmm. in those two places, mm-hmm. like older, think of, think of like older Nana type women, lots of saints mm-hmm. hanging everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you just go in, it's very like, you know, no BS at all. You go in, you get your bread. It's like 25 cents, you know, oh, but man. they would thin slice this gorgeous ham and just, you know, cut open your roll and, and put this thin sliced ham and then a, a little bit of that cheese on it. Oh my God. Oh, and then you just walk God. out with a sandwich. That's like the most delicious thing you've ever had. And it's literally just a ham sandwich. I'm <laughs> you know? so hungry. And I ate breakfast <laughs> like an hour ago and I'm not <laughs> salivating for ham and cheese on anything. I'm like a crusty, beautiful roll. Oh God. Yeah. All right. Another question from a listener. Great. Nick in Boston wants to know, what are your favorite cooking tips and tricks that you learned while living in Italy that you didn't know before you moved there? Great question. So the first thing that I learned is that when you salt your pasta water, that you can then taste the water itself. My love. Right? Oh man. I know you talked about that, but but I had never seen anyone taste the water. I'd seen, of course, my grandmother's salt the water, but never like take the wooden spoon and taste the water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amazing. And then the other thing I learned is just how to trust in the kitchen. They don't use recipes. They, they do everything by oral tradition. And 
that involves having so much confidence, you know, like you have to stand there over the thing that you're sauteing and really feel confident in yourself that you're going to know what to do, even though you don't have it written down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And I, I love that passing down a recipe is so sacred because they're not written. Mm -hmm. So you have to cook them to keep them alive. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. It's almost like you're a poet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know she is a poet. She's an amazing poet. (laughs) Thank you. You paint such beautiful (laughs) pictures with your words. Like I can literally, I'm like daydreaming about being in Italy right now, eating a ham sandwich and like sauteing a piece of fish. Oh my God. I'm so glad. Oh man. (laughs) That makes me so happy because really like, I miss it. I really do miss that so much. There is there is such a beauty in the way they live life. There's so much satisfaction. Yeah. In, like, and people don't take it for granted. Like if you're with someone and you go and you get that ham sandwich and you're with each other and you're like, oh my God, isn't this amazing? The other person, the Italian person isn't like, yeah, it's great. They're like, mamma mia, il panino più buono del mondo. Like they're, they're just as excited as you. <laughs> Very passionate people. I yeah. agree. I totally agree. And passionate about food, which I mean, yes. speaks to my heart on every level. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to baking, how do you plan your own recipes in the kitchen? Like what inspires you now? Because you're doing... What I love is you, like, it's not just one type of thing. Like you do a yeah. full range from savory to sweet to really advanced to something somebody who's just starting can do. Like, how do you get inspired? Where's, how do you come up with these amazing creations? Um, well, um, the thing is like, I don't create any recipe just for the blog or for my Instagram. Mm-hmm. So these are like uh, stuff that we eat in our day-to-day life. So, so that's what happened. So that's why it's so uh, vibrant and it's so, I mean, that's why there's a, a lot of uh, various things on my Instagram, not just bread, mm-hmm. because I mean, we, we don't just eat bread, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> as <laughs> much as we would all love to every day, but yes, no, yes you got to like, what is it? Spice, yeah. no, variety is the spice of life or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but I know when it comes to, actually planning out like what I'm sure you have a content calendar or I'm, I have a feeling you're very organized because it's so beautifully laid out that you must plan ahead when you're thinking of these recipes, right? Or is it literally just, um, what are we making this week? I think I want to make this, this, and this, and let's just take <laughs> some pictures. Uh, to be honest, it's very spontaneous. Like I don't plan like that. Even my Instagram feed, I mean, I have no planning at all. It's just organic. Like I wake up and I post something uh, very organic, like something I baked yesterday. So mostly it's something that I baked on the same day or yesterday. Wow. (laughs) You have mastered this so beautifully in such an effortless way. I am uh, inspired completely by you. Thank you for inspiring me on the daily. And now you make it look so darn easy (laughs) because you're like, oh, you know, whatever. (laughs) Whatever, whatever. my mind I just did that and then you get like 20,000 likes (laughs) yes Yes, sometimes I don't believe like people I mean like that that so much like yeah yeah. Yeah. to be honest I am sometimes baffled like why why do they like my bake so much because I mean I literally just baked it in the morning (laughs) oh my gosh well that's why we like it so much because you're just listening to your inner guidance and just going with the flow 
to see you. It's good to see you finally. Okay, but That's before, we'll hold on, that. hold on. Look what I have. What do I have? Oh, you have an orange LaCroix. That's my favorite. I know, and I'm very disappointed that you're not drinking one right now, that you are drinking a Pellegrino, which I fully support, but I got LaCroix specifically for you because there's only one person in this world that loves it more than probably the people at LaCroix, and that would be you. Yeah, it's definitely me. I have a whole fridge full of them, but I I was on a shoot a couple weeks ago and we used Pellegrino. And you know what? Sometimes I feel like not yes. having flavored sparkling water. Yeah, and Pellegrino's not as bubbly. It's like littler bubbles, I feel like. It's, yeah. It's not as See, like, that's funny. You say little bubbles. I think the littler bubbles. That's yeah, tough. Tiny bubbles. I think it's thicker water. Maybe. I love the <laughs> thicker water. European water is very thick. Oh, you're just the most adorable human. Hey guys, how's it going? Hi, Beth. Hi, Sheriff. I am psyched to be here. Psyched. <laughs> oh, Steve, people, we have Steve in the house. Some of you may remember Sherry from episode two. She's back. And okay. this time she brought Steve. Yay! Yay! Hello, people in Hollywood land. <laughs> I love you so much. This is going to be so much fun. Okay, so what the heck have you two been up to since we last chit chatted? Uh, cooking pretty and much. And sleeping. And sleeping, a lot of sleeping. Good. Well, <laughs> Sherry doesn't sleep well, so that makes me no, really happy to hear that she's actually sleeping. And I think she's probably lying because I don't think you still are sleeping very well, but. Totally lying, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Sherry is like one of those people that is lucky if she gets a few hours of solid sleep. She it also has true. two asshole cats that keep her awake. And a dog, an asshole dog. Don't forget the yeah. asshole dog. But Steve, you sleep well? Let's just circle around. I, will, I'll, I may fall asleep during this. Don't get offended. I just like taking naps. <laughs> he fell asleep when we were on the phone the other night. Stop it. it. Twice. Stop <laughs> it. Were you guys like waiting for something to marinate and you just were killing time? No, I No, was it was talking. late at night. I was talking. I was in full on conversation. Gone. Nuh-uh. How late but at night was it, Steve? Let's be honest. It was 10:30. very late at night. It was like at least Nine eight o'clock. o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. But, but I will tell you, Yeah. you know how when people say, are you asleep? And they're like, uh, of course not. I'm very honest. You wake up and, and so you say, she yes, said to I me, am asleep. Are you sleeping right now? And I'm like, yes, goodbye. <laughs> this is boring like, me to tears. I have to go. Click. And that was yeah. the end of that. Steve actually has a fun mushroom fact. Oh, tell us. That he found out. I do. Right, <laughs> What's so your mushroom last... fact, Steve? Well, well, you that, forgot uh, it. We have, we have to step back a year. When last okay. year I learned that the yellow pepper and the red pepper and the green pepper are all the same pepper. And they're just picked at different times of, of ripeness. Yeah. Did I just blow your mind on that? You're Nuh-uh. welcome. Look it up. <laughs> I know you think I'm, I'm making this up. I really do think you're making this up. No, Jerry's the okay. one who told me, and I had to look it up because I didn't believe her. Like, I really did because they're different sweetnesses, though. Yes, like... as they ripen, they become sweeter, and that's why the green is the least ripe, and it is the one that is the least sweet. Nuh-uh. Oh yeah. So Nuh-uh. now, so now we learn that, right? So let's put that one aside. I had Google no it, idea. Right. So now we learned about the mushrooms. So 
I'm looking up some information on the mushrooms and yeah. I bought the plain little white mushrooms. That's what we made. Oh, right? yeah. And I had the criminies and yeah. I couldn't decide between those and the criminies. And someone's like, it's the same mushroom. No, I'm like, what? So yeah. So it starts off as the white, it darkens up and becomes the criminy and then it grows up and it becomes the portobello same mushroom. No same mushroom. I'm going to say it again. Hashtag same mushroom. <laughs> no. Are you serious? I am very serious. Like, I can't believe it. I blew my I needed, mind twice right now. Well, I needed two sources after the mushroom one because I figured this, the portobello I don't like. It's too much, uh -huh. you okay. know? No. And so I'm like, like how could that be my sure. wonderful little white mushroom? It is. See, I knew the portobello and the cremini. The cremini was a baby portobello. Uh -huh. That I that I get. Okay. But I had no idea. The, the button mushroom, the white button the mushroom little, and the cremini are the same mushroom? Same mushroom. I can't, I just, like, I I'm can't fact check this the second I get off because I'm like, my mind is, I can't. Yeah. And the peppers. And the, pe I know, I'm going to do peppers. Oh my God. See. It's the same pepper, just bell peppers. Do you have any more fun facts you want to insert? This is great. Uh, uh, right, the, I had some it. trivia the other day. What were we talking about? Oh, that Diana Ross has a daughter named Chutney. <laughs> we were talking Here. about Chutney. And he's like, Diana Ross has a daughter named Chutney. I'm like, what? I don't know where that came kidding? from. I don't know how I filed that, but it's been in my head for a yeah. good 25 oh, years. Oh, I hope it's a Jeopardy question. It's not yeah. actually Chutney, though. No, it's Chudney. Chudney. With a D. Chud? D. Yeah. Oh. Like, like cannibalistic the... humanoid underground dweller. Dweller, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if it has something to do with some origin of like, I don't know, something. Yeah, maybe. 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 It's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Cassie, you're here. I'm here. I'm so pumped. So first and foremost, we have to chills because Pleasure. she's here live with me. The inaugural live show. Mm-hmm. It is. It's the Cassie and Beth show. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. We are uh drinking wine. So leading up to this, I've already given an intro. People know who you are, they know where we fell in love. Okay. What they don't know is we are drinking and podcasting today. We are. This is an interesting experience because <laughs> it's also my first podcast ever. This so, is so much fun. If anyone knows me, they know that sometimes I can be let off the let off the cuff. So this will be interesting. CJ in New York City writes, I invested in some wines recently that are more than 20 bucks, but I don't have a wine fridge. What's the best way to store them so they won't go bad? And I'm guessing in New York City, you might not have a basement. Maybe you do. Maybe you have a, maybe you are bougie and you have a big apartment. Find your heat sources. Okay. And you want to make sure that you're always as far away from your heat sources. I have not, I got a wine fridge six months ago. Ooh. So I have done, and it's been hot. It's been hot. And I've moved a lot and yeah. I haven't had an AC the whole time. So oh. two things you have to worry about here in New England. You have to worry about severe cold yes. and then severe heat spikes. Yes. So I always like to take the case, wrap it in a blanket of some kind. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be an insulated blanket. It can just be like a blanket that you don't need to use anymore. Towels also work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then put it in a closet somewhere. Closets typically oh, are not near heat, heat sources. Good idea. They typically have, or a pantry. Yeah. You're at, or what you can do too is store it where you would store your potatoes. 
Good idea. So anywhere that you keep food that can't get too fluctuating with temperature. Yeah. Um, your whites, I mean, your whites, you should be drinking right away, right away. So put those in the fridge or on the side of the counter somewhere, but your reds, you know, as long as it's wrapped, depending upon how many you have, I've kept things in the bottom drawer of my, uh, dresser. Oh, that's another great idea. I didn't even think of that. Because you're You're like the Carrie Bradshaw of wine. You're like, I just store things in my stuff. Like I'm putting things in my dresser. So, um, but what you have, like usually your dresser, you want it, you want it flesh up against the wall. So it's not going to be near a heat source. hundred percent. So that's another way. I love that. All right. Great. So I'm just impressed that you're wearing pants, to be honest with you. You don't know that. I don't. You haven't stood up yet. (laughs) So you, now for the people who did not listen again to the 32nd thing, have been in LA really doing- 22 years. Yeah, which is mind-blowing. I'm officially been in LA more than I've been anywhere else. Yeah. I've been in LA half my life. I I can't even wrap my head around that. And you're not even that much of- like in a Los Angeles, Leon? No. What's the term? Los, Los Angeles. Okay, great. Yeah, great. I just, great Spanish I think I just, accent I with that too. I don't know. Yeah, do you speak Spanish? You've been there 22 know. years. Are you speaking Spanish? And oh. I took seven years of Spanish. I didn't, I don't. You can't even no. order Mexican. You don't even eat Mexican food, do you? Oh, I eat it every other day, basically. Oh, okay, great. Thank God. Because I, I don't know yeah. if I've ever seen you eat anything but tequila, to be honest with you yeah no that's usually what i'm eating in the summer with me i know so that's bad. so o- bad. oysters oysters and tequila that's yeah it. that's what i and then we dropped my cell phone in the ocean yes right that's while how, it's that's literally how while it's calling somebody drunk dialing somebody yes and she picked up and she's like hey she back picked, and it's like we could see it we could see it we could see it i know i know so it sad. was that was amazing yeah you tried you tried and we then really your tried son, hank's literally standing over looking at the phone go down and he looks at me and he was what i don't know seven then i mean it was it was forever ago yeah yeah probably and your seven year old ish yeah son looks at me and he's like you know i was in an all-state commercial i got money in the bank i can just buy you a new one and I was like, sweet he hasn't changed <laughs> He no, hasn't he was changed. such a baller then. Now he's 12 and he's ruling the world. One of the things that I was talking to you about offline, and it's important to me because I'm on, and I hate using the word journey, but I'm on a very serious health journey with, with releasing um, a ton of weight this for the rest of my life. And a lot of times during the holidays, people feel like they get like a free pass to eat whatever they want day of. Even you just said it, Pie Fest Mm -hmm. 2021, right? And then it's a very slippery slope to hanging on to the back of the loose train through Christmas and New Year's. And it's not even, but okay. So let me, let me, let me back it up because it's not just going off the rails. It's there's so it's so multi-layered than that because it, there's so many get togethers and gatherings during this time of year that aren't just the major holidays. Like, how do you navigate those waters successfully, you know, without feeling left out and also without 
completely overindulging each time. Like, cause a lot of people, all of my friends are like, let's get together. Let's go out to eat. Let's do this. Let's do that. And now the world's opening up again. So I feel like we're getting together even more now that we're all vaccinated and boosted up and stuff like that, that I just, and when you eat out at a restaurant, it's way different than what I'm eating in, in home. Even though I cook really good, it's still, there's, it's just, it's different when you're around people. I would definitely agree. Um, so let's parse that out into a yeah. couple different groups, holiday parties and get together with friends, eat normally all day long. Do not show up to that party starving. Do not think you're saving calories. Don't just go like eat a normal lunch. Say the party starts at, I don't know, six, seven, eight, even whatever time after that, you know, if it's like going to be a dinner party of sorts, or there's going to be many past hors d'oeuvres, don't show up starving, have a decent snack at five o'clock, especially if you're going to walk in and someone's going to hand you a glass of champagne. The second you start, you know, anything sounds logical when you have not had a drink. Once you have a drink, your, your best laid plans are ruined. Like that salad that sounded so lovely. You now want pizza. So go arm yourself in advance with not being starving, show up hydrated, show up with not a hollow stomach and then enjoy what you want, but then don't do it from a point of being ravenous. So therefore, like when you get there and someone hands you the champagne and you walk by the table, you make your little plate, you have a little bit of what you want, but you won't need as much if you're not starving. The dinners out with like in a restaurant, that's a little bit different. Um, I would say, you know, I always like try to have a salad to start the meal Mm -hmm. and that will keep me calm for when the meal shows up. So if I do want the rich thing that catches my eye, like, you know, who knows what, uh, last Friday I went somewhere and they had like a polenta dish with braised mushrooms and, um, an egg over the top and it was beautiful, but you don't need, you know, you might be full off of half of that after the salad, or, you know, this place happened to have like lovely petite portions, which was great. Cause you didn't feel like you were over consuming. So that I would say like fill up on something that's you know, start with a salad or start with a soup. And so you get to eat continuously and you're participating, but it might save you a little in the long run. Again, stay hydrated. I find that like dehydration, I think another two big things that maybe people don't notice and it will lower your inhibitions quite a lot or make you think you need things when you don't is if you aren't getting enough water or if you aren't getting enough sleep. Um, when you're tired, it's just harder to make good choices, period. It's it's just so much harder. And you tend to think like, you're tired, you need energy, energy is food. So therefore you're like, oh, I'll just eat some more. Like you will just happen to eat a lot more going through your day if you're exhausted. So stay hydrated, try to get sleep. And then when you go to these events, go not starving. I try to follow the rule of sevens. I arrive at meals. So if it's, you know, one to 10, one being like, not hungry at all. 10 being like, I'm so hungry. I'm going to punch you mm. seven. You're hungry. You are aware of your hunger. You are ready to eat food, but you are functional about it. You can still make a rational choice. And some people might be like, I really don't understand why she's emphasizing this so much. And other people are going to be like, Oh no, I know what she's saying. I totally know exactly what you mean. Yes. It, um, and you are those people like the close people to you? Like if I say to Tom, like I'm hungry, he's like, well, what do you mean hungry? Like do we have 15 minutes to figure it out or yeah. do we need to be like getting somewhere this second? Yeah. So the, the people of the world will know which camp they're in. 
Um, oh yeah, big time. Oh, yeah. Big time. Okay. I love, I absolutely, I'm taking all these notes and I'm going to include all of this in the show notes and for myself with post-its all along everywhere I look in my house. That's me. I'm in such awe of your knowledge and skills. So when you say blind tasting, do you mean like your eye, and this is, is a silly question, but do no. you mean like your eyes are closed while you're drinking it? <laughs> no, it just means you don't know what it is. <laughs> Like, but if you're doing a blind tasting, it's just like you in the, in the kitchen and the kitchen. It's blind. It's like a, bl- yeah, no, it's just like, you don't know. So when I was studying, for this, <laughs> I, thought this you, is- I, I literally thought you meant like you would, you had your eyes closed and you're like yeah. fumbling for the glass of wine. That would be so hard. <laughs> no, like, so when we were studying for the court, for our exams and, and even after we were, um, got our small A certification. Then we went and did W set. So the W set is a precursor to master of wine. And then if you want to be a master sommelier, that's through the court of master sommelier. So the court is, is for the master sommelier and then, um, W set, which is a wine spirits education trust. That is a British, also a British, um, based organization. That is the precursor. You have to go through all of those different levels. It starts at like your basic, then there's intermediate, there's advanced, and then there's a diploma level, which is a really intense. So I have my advanced for WSET and I'm just a certified sommelier for through the court. But when we just wanted to keep studying because to keep it fresh. And if you don't have something you're kind of looking forward, like studying for, like you just stop kind of practicing. Although now, I mean, everything is meaningless. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, at, at one point, this stuff was really important to me. <laughs> no, I know. I know. And no, and you got to find your joy somewhere. So then we can fight the battles we need to fight. Exactly. Yeah. So we still, and I mean, I haven't lately, cause I haven't seen any of my wine friends, but I, one of my best friends is, is somebody I met doing all of this. And my husband always jokes and her husband, like, thank God you guys found each other. Cause we're sick of listening to you talk about wine. So you can talk to yourselves about it you know so even at dinner parties and we were in a grub club together mm-hmm. for years where we you know had dinner parties once a week for you know this is pre-kids but um we would do it at, at parties too like just to like I would bring something to, to blind her on and she would blind me or like we would have our husbands go and pick something out of the basement and like not tell us what it is and it's just it's just fun and something to keep your senses up and I, I absolutely love that and when my husband gets home tonight I'm gonna be like you're gonna blind me and he's gonna be like what in yeah. that like kinky so world are we going to do? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, get that bottle of wine. <laughs> there is glasses. And this is just sounds so bougie. But when I was in Paris, I went to this um, dinner. It was a sommelier owned restaurant. And he was like the world best sommelier. They have competitions every year. And he got it like twice in a row. And he did this tasting menu. So you don't know what the wines are and you have to guess. And you, they don't tell you what the food is because once you learn a lot about this, it's like, oh, if you're going to serve me salmon and a red wine, then I know that might be Pinot Noir. Or that might mm-hmm. be Beaujolais. So you don't know what the menu is going to be until you have the, the wine in front of you too. And then the third course, which is the hardest, is the main course, but it's served in a black glass. So you can't see the wine at all. Oh my and that God. makes it very, very tricky because color, like I said, has so much to do yeah. with what the what what the varietal is and once you learn more and more about it like Pinot Noir and Nebbiolo look very similar in the glass but they taste very different mm-hmm. they you know Nebbiolo has a lot more tannin they both have super high acidity but there's a more rusticness depend I mean depending on where it's grown but there's more earthiness sometimes to mm-hmm. some, some Nebbiolo mm-hmm. but so that that was what 
that that was what we had in the black glass. I and mean, I wanted to buy one so bad and I didn't because it was like $50 for one glass, but that's one, you know, one purchase I still regret to this day. Oh no, but you, I, you need to buy yourself that black like glass. How often like would I if eat Adam this? is listening <laughs> to this, Adam, <laughs> Sarah's husband, man up and get your wife yeah. two of those black glasses so her and her best friend can do this to each other. So there you go. That's great. What do you think now I'm being a member and I have already said, this is not a sponsored podcast. I fully just love your products and I just wanted to chat with you. So I know why your product stands out from others and why your steak or your, your meat, your chicken tastes way better than something I'd even get at Whole Foods. But why do you think your products stand out? Oh, that's another important part of like the whole starting point um how how we even got introduced to products like this my wife and i um uh, there's a friend of ours in southern new hampshire that uh has a pasture-raised chicken operation Mm. and when you taste uh, particularly chicken and pork i've found uh that's raised truly outdoors on pasture and it's a significant you know up to 20 percent of their diet is forage the taste of that product is just so remarkably different than what you get in a grocery store. And so that, that was even before, you know, I told you the story about, um, you know, getting started at the very beginning, that was even sort of before that is just experiencing those, the taste of those products. Oh yeah. Uh, Even your eggs. Like I, I get two dozen eggs every month and the yolks are what you'd see in like Europe, you know, it's that like gorgeous, colorful, it's not that pale yellow yolk. I mean, and they taste so much better. Like you taste an egg, you actually are tasting an egg when you eat one of your eggs versus something you might get just no, no, I'm not knocking what is in grocery stores because people, that's what some people eat and there's nothing wrong with that. And if you can, whatever your money can afford, you know, just eat whole beautiful food. But I think your eggs are really amazing. I'm not going to lie to them every morning. appreciate that. There's That brings up a really important point too. So uh, one, just as an aside, mm. I, I find it interesting that there there's a seasonal difference in the eggs. And I don't know if you've perceived this, yes. but certainly the, the hens spend more time, uh, you know, undercover and that takes different forms at different uh, farms in the wintertime versus in the summertime where by and large they're outdoors uh, at least the 12 hours of daylight. Um, and what, what that does to the egg flavor is as a result of a changing diet, for example, you'll just see much higher beta carotene content that they're getting from the grass in the, in the summertime, particularly the late summertime. Yes. And so like, you'll see a very deep orange yolk, uh, you know, commonly in August and September when the grass has a really high sugar content, mm-hmm. whereas in other times of the year that that color and taste profile will will change pretty dramatically, um, which I just find interesting. You, you brought up a point about um, affordability though, which is a, an interesting road to go down. And one that I'm somewhat sensitive to, to be honest, because mm-hmm. you know the goal here is not to produce a product that is only affordable for the few. Mm-hmm. However, the reality is now because the industrial commodity industry is subsidized in a variety of forms. So on one hand, um, you know, 
the its dependence on oil, for example, is subsidized in a number of ways at, at a federal and in some kind in some cases a state level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also subsidized in the fact that the environmental costs of production in that sort of setting are largely borne by the public, where the gains of not having to account for those costs are largely captured by uh, these these large companies, which mm-hmm. own, you know, the top five, I think, own uh, 80% of the market or so. Yeah, I know. And so that, that's, that's a difficult dynamic in which to compete. Um, but I often sort of talk about us in the, in the context of Tesla, um, which may seem like an odd comparison, but from a sort of business strategy perspective, they started in the context of you know, batteries are still really expensive. We expect the cost to come down over time, but we're going to start with a premium car mm-hmm. um, and with the hopes of over time introducing a mass market car as we increase in scale and reduce that cost base. And I would describe our strategy as very much the same. You, you just simply cannot uh, compete at a small scale um, but I do not think the production methods that, that we utilize um, are any less efficient at similar scale mm-hmm. uh, to, to the big guys. So anyway, that's just an important point is like, uh, you know, it, it very much is right now more, per, more expensive to produce products this way. Um, but I think there's a more uh, complicated story behind that. What do you think makes a good beer? Like what, what does a good beer taste like to you? A good beer is whatever makes your moment better. Um, there's not. Listen to you with these one-liners, man. I'm loving <laughs> I it. Just, I want you to have as many, prom- I'm in marketing. I need, need these audio. Oh, yeah. One on cycle. Like, Ooh, listen, listen to more. Uh, right? The rest is not that interesting. You got one-liners. <laughs> um, it's, it's true though. There's, I don't have a single beer style I like. And I've, I've made the joke with my wife and other people, I'll play beer Pandora all day. You give me thumbs up and down and I'll take you in the right direction. But uh, there's just, there's context. There's what you're eating, drinking, doing, what you were doing just before, what you want to be able to do next. You're, the context of how you drink beer is so important. And I'll, you know, as much into craft beer as I am, if it's 90 degrees out and I just worked really hard, you hand me a Michelob Ultra, I'm going to think that's the best beer for that moment. Yeah, it's um, going to taste like water. I mean, it's going to go down like water. Refreshing, it's cold and you're all of a sudden going to be just perceiving it so differently yep. versus if you're on your seventh beer of the night, you're not even going to taste that no. beer. Um, no. If you're sitting down to share with friends and you're able to enjoy something much richer and more robust, if you're having dessert versus a really light fish, uh, if you are out all day in the sun playing yard games versus uh, finishing a hike. All these moments and contexts present opportunities for different beers and being able to have a repertoire of things you know and like uh, gives you the opportunity to come to the table and say, oh, this would be a great beer for this occasion. And some people just have narrow profiles of flavor they like. Yeah. In that case, you can say, oh, I know exactly what direction you're going to go. I'll have a few of those in my fridge every time you come over. And then with people who are willing to experiment, you can sort of nudge them along the train there. 
cheese. Let's talk about cheese. You're here okay, for cheese. Yay. Yes. Why cheese? This is, I can answer this myself because I'm obsessed with cheese. And if I was lactose intolerant, I would cry every day in the shower, just in a little ball. But like, what made you fall so deeply in love with cheese? It's so funny. Um, I, so I grew up, uh, my dad's side is Italian and uh, they came over from the South of Italy. And I grew up as a very picky eater, like mm. peanut butter and jelly and sugary cereals. Lucky Charms was my favorite, were my go-tos. But <laughs> my grandfather who made his own wine, his mm. own his own uh, cured Italian sausages. Charcuterie. Yeah. Charcuterie, yeah. Um, he, they would also get these big balls of provolone and mm. age them in their cellars for like oh, a year. Wow. And it came out super strong and we used to call it stinky cheese. And I loved that stuff. So strangely enough, you know, like lucky Lucky charms, charms. stinky (laughs) cheese. Yeah. I love it. Hey, there's a gateway drug for everything, right? Like I love that. So I had a cheese book um, as an adult before France, uh, Stephen Jenkins book. I can't remember the title of it. It's at our house in the South. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And I was kind of interested in it, just food in general from Europe. I was always interested. My, most of my cookbooks were French or Italian. And then I, when we moved here, I started a food blog. So it's now 15 years old. I haven't updated it in a few months, <laughs> which I will soon. Uh, so one day, about 12 years ago, I was standing in a covered market that had three different cheese sellers. And mm-hmm. I was standing there looking trying to buy something and looking at there were like 50 or 70 cheeses in front of me. And I realized I only really knew about six or seven of them. And I thought I live in this country with incredible cheese. So yeah. it was almost like wanting to learn about wine. I thought, okay, I'm just going to start buying them and tasting them. And also I thought it would be great material for my blog. So sure. with that, I just became obsessed. And then <laughs> This project, which at the time I started it, I thought there were only four or 500 cheeses made in France. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, the recent Dairy Farmers Association, they came out with this new figure because France is very varied. And so you say you're a sheep farmer in this part of the Pyrenees making a hard wheel of cheese, but your sheep are eating something in particular because mm. they're at this altitude mm-hmm. versus this altitude. Um, and maybe you're making the cheese a little differently, but you're calling it just like a sheep cheese and your neighbor 10 miles down the road is making in essence a sheep cheese, but they're not exactly the same cheese. Sure. Right. So they're a style of cheese, but they're not exactly the same cheese. So the French dairy farmers now say there are between 15 or 1400 and 1600 cheeses. And there's this huge number Oh no. Because cheeses disappear when people retire sure. and new people buy farms and create new cheeses. So, so <laughs> with that, um, I've now kind of exhausted most of my resources at the cheese shops because a lot of them are made by one farmer mm. out in the middle of nowhere and they're sold at a local market or at uh, their farm. And so I've had over 400 now, but honestly, um, I go to the cheese shops here and scan everything there. And it is rare that I find something new. So you need to get out of the city and like make your vacations or destinations Uh of cheese eating. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Like that's so exciting because then 
And I had this conversation with somebody when I was talking with them in Tuscany and it, it just makes it's so much more memorable when you make the connection with the farmer talking to them about the story. And then your memories of eating that cheese and having that experience are so much deeper and more rich. And it's just so special. It really is. I admire you. And I'm sorry, 400 cheeses is a lot of cheeses. That's something you should be very proud of. And I think to do all 1500, I, I, I hope you do it. I really truly do. And I think you'll crush it. I fingers crossed. You know, I do need to take a really long, long road trip. <laughs> you do. It's going to be like a three year long road trip and you're going to need some probably like Lipitor and something else along the way, because man, oh man, you're going to be there's the cholesterol might spike here and there from all of your cheese eating. Okay. So my husband Todd is an executive chef. And one of the things he wanted me to ask you was a cheese called, and I may or not pronounce this right. La Morbia. No. Yeah. No. La Morbia. La Morbia. Yes. What can you talk a little bit about it? Cause it's kind of an interesting cheese, at least to us here in the U S we think it's interesting. You in France, you might be like, nah, it's, oh, no, a it's a great cheese. It's a great cheese. It is has that little line of ash through the center of it. So mm-hmm. it's very distinctive looking. So traditionally, that was because the cheese was made with so animals are milked twice a day. So they would take the milk from the morning, and it would curdle, they'd have the cheese curds, they would put mm-hmm. them into the forms or the molds that the cheese was made in. And in order to keep flies and things off of it, they would sprinkle ash on it that came straight out of the oh. fireplace. And then the evening milk, actually, I can't remember if it was evening first and then the next morning, but whatever. Yeah. They would sprinkle ash from their fireplace on top of the cheese curds to protect it from flies and things. Oh. So nowadays, it's not coming from people's fireplaces. That ash is, um, it's an edible ash, usually from really finely burned uh, vegetable peels. Mm-hmm. Sometimes from wood, but it's perfectly edible. It's mixed mm-hmm. with salt and it is an edible ash that you would purchase. They use ash as well in uh, goat cheeses. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those are coming from the clippings of vines when they go and prune the vineyards. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's activated charcoal. Uh, mm-hmm. Orbier, it comes from the Alps. It's from the Jura where Conte is from. Conte mm-hmm. is a famous Alpine style mm-hmm. So it's cow's milk. It's kind of a squidgy texture. It's got some good flavor, good, like kind of yeasty, um, kind of buttery, but mm. it's, yeah, I like Does the morning milk and the evening milk have two different tasting profiles. Um, the morning milk has more butter fat in it, oh, I believe, sure. but it okay. also depends on what season it is. Yeah. Because <laughs> so it's, it's what they're eating. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So morning milk, I believe has more, yeah, has more fat in it, more butter fat. That's wonderful. Okay. Now the other thing Todd wanted me to ask you about mm-hmm. was, I know we, we were talking before we jumped on about wax aging versus cave aging. And in France, there's really no wax aging, but cave yeah. aging is what most French cheeses, if it's being aged, right. Am I right with that? It's more popular. It's more popular. I, yeah, I cannot think off the top of my head of any wax covered cheeses. Um, there may be one or two, but if they are, if there are, they're coming from the North where it's similar to Dutch mm-hmm. style cheeses, but I can't think of any, uh, cave aging. So when you have cheese and they're aging in a specific environment, 
what's floating around in the air and landing on the rinds does impart flavor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use Roquefort as an mm. example. So the okay. famous blue cheese. Mm-hmm. It's in one set of limestone caves that go down about 10 stories. They've been making that cheese in those caves for over 2000 years that we know of. It was mentioned in the diaries of Pliny the Elder and he died in 79 AD. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, that, those caves, because they're, they have what are called, uh, they call them chimneys. So they have these natural cracks that go all the way to the top and allow air to be mm-hmm. constantly circulating. And so it's always the same temperature and it's always the same humidity there. And if you throw that off, that means that the blue, which is mold, mm-hmm. like forti, it will mess up the blue molds and will not grow. Or if it's too hot or if it's too cold, um, it won't grow. If it's too hot, mm-hmm. it will completely take over the cheese. So cave and a, a cave environment is super important. There's another one called Saint Nectar in from the Auvergne and it is aged pretty much most of the villages in that region have their own sat nectar cave aging spaces. And it is this perfect environment of humidity and temperature that gives it the flavor, gives uh, all of these things floating around and microbes, enzymes and mold and stuff. And so it is really important. Um, But they do use modern spaces as well. Uh, So the word cave or cave does Mm -hmm. mean cellar. So Mm -hmm. you have a shoe shop here that has above their shop, modern refrigerated humidity and climate controlled aging spaces. They're using old World War II bunkers in the Alps, outside of the city here. So Mm -hmm. there's lots of different places you can age cheese. Um, Also aging a young cheese, you're not going to let it sit for a long time. I'm thinking um, a young goat cheese that's served at two to three weeks old. It's not aged in a cave. It's aged in just a refrigerated Mm -hmm. humidity Mm -hmm. controlled space. So it's amazing. Like who two over 2000 years ago took some cheese, put it in the cave and then blue crap grew all over it and was like, you know, I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat it. They have like, a great, there's all these little legends about I love it. About, and that one is the shepherd boy with a cheese sandwich because the mold comes from rye bread. Oh, okay. So he had his sandwich with just cheese and he had his, it's a sheep cheese. So he was tending to his flock. Mm-hmm. He saw this cute girl tucked of his course, sandwich away. Of in this little cave went after her and forgot his sandwich and then when he came back it was covered with this mold but he was hungry so he ate it anyway and it was delicious (laughs) thank goodness for love boys chasing tail i love it so this week we're going up north to the fabulous and very famous tuscan countryside so I want to know, and I think everyone wants to know, what really makes Tuscan food stand out, like compared to other food in Italy? Because Italy, like the, the regions, the food is so different region to region. So like why, what makes Tuscan food Tuscan? So um, in Tuscany, we love uh, olive oil, first of all. Here mm-hmm. it's the wine and the olive oil are the two big protagonists of our region. So everywhere you go, you will see these olive groves and vineyards. Uh, so let's say 
olive oil and wine are the big, 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 um, let's say main things on our tables. But then there's much more. So we, um, in Tuscany, we are famous, let's say, for all the charcuterie. Mm. So the prosciutto, salame toscano, and then also mm. finocchione, which is another specialty which has the fennel seeds. We are big fennel lovers in, in Tuscany. We put a lot of herbs on our uh, food. And um, so, yeah, also the Florentine steak, uh, which is, mm. you know, the beef. Mm. So meat culture, uh, also the kale the, during this time of the year, uh, you know, in the winter time, you have the Tuscan kale, uh, mm. the cannellini beans, uh, you know, with um, uh, fresh olive oil on top, mm -hmm. the bread soups, there is so much. Um, let's say in Italy, Italy is um, a small country, but it has such a diversity of yeah. climates and also of, uh, different productions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, everywhere you go, you will find local specialties and that's a reason of course, to keep traveling and keep discovering. Absolutely. And do you feel like the food in Tuscany tends to be a little more like richer, a little more comforting, even in the summertime, it is still a comfort kind of food, even though like a lighter version of a comfort food, but it is, it, it tends to be, at least from my perspective. It is absolutely correct. In every season, we love those kind of earthy, rich, comfort foods um and uh every every recipe has a little bit that that flavor into it i love it i i I'm, gosh the truffles the truffles in tuscany <laughs> oh the truffles and you can get them all year long like different versions of truffles but, oh man the winter whites man oh man all right we digress. Oh, Josh in Seattle says, Hey, hey, new coast, new coast. I don't like the taste of kale, but I know I should eat more vegetables. What is your favorite thing to do with kale? Throw it in the trash, Josh. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, it took me a minute to get into kale. Yeah. I, agree. Soon, I mean, it, all you honestly need again, I cook with coconut oil. So I would just do heat the pan, with, put in coconut oil, make sure it's melted, obviously. Mm-hmm. Add in the kale and just either I, I don't like I usually put a lid on it that kind of like steams it almost like just make sure everything's all oiled up and then add some salt and pepper and like you're done. I, mean, I don't know. It's like that's really good. Or that recipe I was talking about earlier where you just do a little bit of soy sauce and sesame oil and just rub it into the to the kale and mm -hmm. it gets rid of that bitter taste. Um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it takes a minute to get into kale, but it's once you kind of pass that, you get over that hump, um, mm -hmm. you start liking it. Yeah, I agree. I think kale, um, if there's a recipe that you already like to make and it calls for baby spinach, I would substitute kale in for that. Like in soups, I love kale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like a kale and sausage and potato soup, I think it's delicious. I put kale in frittatas. Key. I think about that. Scrambled yeah, I make like eggs. I do homemade um yeah, scrambled eggs. I'm just gonna just keep interrupting you. Please um, do. I uh I make homemade bone broth and mm. I make a sausage cabbage soup. Mm -hmm. And I think kale and that would actually be good. It would and it might a little bit. As, yeah. Or you can take the cabbage all. out and just do straight up kale. Yes. It's not as stinky. So you're not as stinky. That's pretty good. I think um kale too. If, if as long as you either massage <laughs> whatever dressing or something. Yep. Now we're both doing it. On Get the in it. 
get in it. Dig you in your to, fingers. You really do. Like you either have to really dress it well. Um, I There's a great tahini miso dressing from Love and Lemons that I love. I mean, get creative with it, but you want to massage the kale with the dressing if you're eating it raw and like give it a minute to absorb the dressing. And then if you're going to cook it, like you said, quick saute, you can even like ship and it really thin and sauteed. And then I'll mix it in pasta sometime, like a long noodle pasta or something like that, yeah. or chop it up and throw it in a soup where, you know, baby spinach is involved. Don't put it in a smoothie. Yeah. If you're going to do a green smoothie, use baby spinach. Don't use yeah. kale unless you really love the taste of kale. I think people drink green smoothies and green juice and all that. Great. That's awesome. But the gateway drug to a green smoothie is baby spinach. Spinach. Yeah. He's, he just, it just disappears. Yeah. And you want to like gone. do like tropical flavors with it, you know? So then, yeah, it disappears completely and it doesn't look off putting. Yeah. I actually made a kale, uh, not smoothie, but I did kale apple and water in my um vitamix mm. this morning because mm-hmm. i'm trying to just add more again i say that and this is like the first time i've done it in two weeks so i'm i'm trying but uh you just cry that thing it, like, it makes it like it it just what's what's the word i'm looking at for it like dissolve it like dissolve it, yeah it's seriously it like makes it yeah. like just liquid it's amazing but you got to keep that pulp because that's the point so right it yeah, wasn't that bad. It's not, it was okay. The apple, you got to put the, the ratio of apple to kale. It's you got to put more apple for the sweet, yeah. but it's pretty good. No, it's awesome. Good for you. Look at me. Look at you go. Well, that was a delight. I still can't believe we're wrapping up 2021. I, <laughs> I am shook. I am shook. Again, I can't thank all my guests enough for coming on the podcast this year and taking time out of their busy days and schedules to sit down and talk to yours truly. Really, it's meant so much to me. And thank you guys for writing in all of your questions and continue to do so. Let's go on a food adventure, gmail.com. If you heard some of these episodes and you want to hear more, please go over to wherever you podcast, Spotify, iTunes, find the episode, listen to the whole thing and leave me a review. If you want to learn more about the episodes you were just listening to, head over to my website, elizabethrfuller.com. I have everything listed in the show notes and check out my beautiful photography. Tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram. I love seeing them at Let's Go on a Food Adventure. You guys, until next Friday, thank you so much for listening. Lead with kindness and make some yummy food together this weekend. I'll see you next week. Bye.